My name's Amber Lynn. I'm a cop's daughter, a cop's sister, and I've got a lot of friends in law enforcement. Welcome to the Bad Boys, Bad Boys podcast. Hello, true crime followers. Welcome back to Bad Boys, Bad Boys podcast number three. Today, I'm sitting with Justin from Provo City and Utah County, right? Correct. Yeah. I had to find this guy because my dad's like, you know, we got to get some some other guys in here besides all my buddies. So I found Justin on Facebook and me and him have been messaging back and forth. So I want Justin to introduce himself, kind of tell us where you work, what are some of your credentials? My name is Justin North. I'm currently... Uh, working for Provo City and assigned to the Utah County Major Crimes Task Force as a detective. I've been with Provo for almost 13 years. Credentials that I have, I've been assigned as an FTO, a field training officer. I had the opportunity to train several new officers that uh, worked through Provo uh, over the past 13 years. So wait, hold on. If you do FTO, field training officer, so did you work with my dad then? No, I I know your <laughs> I do know your dad from uh, the police academy. He taught me in the police oh, academy. My dad teaches everybody in the police academy. He I does, think. He does. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go on. No, you're good. And so I I had the opportunity to train a bunch of young young officers. Um, I'm on the hostage negotiation team. So wow. if we if we ever have a crisis situation there where the negotiators need to be called out, I'm one of the ones that they'll call out. How do you do training for that? Do you have to like go out of state for that? We do. We do out of state training and then every quarter we have a, an annual training where we go and just kind of meet and and go over dis- different uh, negotiation type of scenarios and, and keep our skills up so that we're able to to hopefully talk people down and, and from, from committing the ultimate crimes. Yeah. Have you done anything like that? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to be on... Um, on a real negotiation. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I had a suicidal where I was able to talk him down and have him come out. But oh, cool. um, that's that's been about the, the majority of what I've done so far on that team. On one hand, that's really cool because we live in Utah and I'm. it's a pretty safe state for most. Uh, I mean, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd yeah, like to I, think that. We're no Chicago or <laughs> no, LA, right? <laughs> so on one hand, it's good that you haven't had to do that. It's just like... Yeah. I mean, not that suicide isn't a small thing. It's no, a big thing, no, but is. you were able to it help is. out. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. It was a good a good opportunity. And and to see people after that um, get the help that they need, the resources they need, and hopefully make some changes in their life is always always a positive thing. That's awesome. So, cool. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're, you're good. Tell us your you're credentials. Good. <laughs> I'm, I also was on uh, a team that was called JCAT. It was, uh, I was a special deputy for the U.S. Marshals, and signed would go out about... Uh, once a month and look for the most wanted fugitives in in Utah County as well as Salt Lake and uh, we definitely had some excitement on that team some fun times can I ask who did you look for <laughs> was Warren Jeffs on that list <laughs> if anybody of you and if any of you are familiar with Utah Warren Jeffs is kind of a big deal around here from the FLDS church if you don't know him google him <laughs> Well, I didn't have the opportunity to look for him, but the marshals, I, I think, definitely took, play, took part in that. And I think he was located, what, down in Nevada? Yeah, right on that, um, that street, I mean, street, that highway <laughs> that goes from, U, that connects Utah to yeah. Vegas, right? Yeah. Or Nevada. Yeah, I-15, yeah. So yeah. that would have been pretty cool to have encountered that him. Yeah, but he wasn't one you were looking no, for. Is there no. anybody you can say you were looking for without getting in trouble? I, you know, I can't really think of. I mean, it's just normally the the most wanted fugitives at that time. So it's normally okay. the Utah County, Salt Lake's top ten most wanted. We just we would just go after them, and so I I can't really think of one off of hand to say hey this one or that one. But yeah. 
But there was a lot. We apprehended a lot of fugitives. If there's like Utah um, most wanted, mm-hmm. are we talking mainly like, I feel like there's not a lot of murders here, like big murders. No. I'm... So a lot of it's drug, drug stuff. But then, I mean, you do have your aggravated assaults, um, uh, assaults with deadly weapons, things like that. So we, I mean, during the course that I was out, I never encountered anybody, um, they wanted to use a firearm against us, but the marshals have had um, nights where they've went out and have been shot at. And, oh my gosh! Uh, but it's pretty rare in Utah, which is a good thing too. Yeah, so. and you're always wearing your bulletproof vest. Yes. Always. 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 <laughs> my dad says that too. Always. <laughs> always. <laughs> so, that yeah. thing saves your life. For sure. For sure. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with Provo's special enforcement team as a detective for three years, and that's kind of Provo's small little crash team and what we would do is go out and look for warrants uh drugs and then basically the top five crimes in provo which is like a lot of times uh, burglaries thefts uh, of automobiles thefts of bicycles just random things that you think are pretty lame and, and definitely be, mormons yeah definitely <laughs> byu campus you know forgetting yep. to lock their bikes up that are expensive and thinking that you know by luck they won't walk away and they do and so our job was just kind of to chase down the people that were actively involved in, in pawning bikes and stealing bikes. And, and then, like I said, a lot of it led back to drugs. Um, a lot of the crime that we deal with in Utah is drug-related. Which so. is so sad. There's, For those of you guys that don't know, there's, this state has a, quite the Mexican cartel here. They do. They do. And so to lead from there, um, so I was assigned to the set team for three years, and now I'm currently assigned to the Utah County Major Crimes Task Force as a detective. And... That's our job is to, uh, for the most part, is to locate large-scale drug operations and to um, dismantle them the best that we can. Jeez. And so normally it starts with a street-level user, and then we work our way up to their dealers, um, who are normally, you know, ounce levels or more. From there, we work into their dealers. And, I mean, it takes us in-state, out-of-state. Our cases take us all over the country. So. Isn't that crazy? It I'm is. sure it takes you out of the country too. Yeah. <laughs> it could. They normally don't let us go that far. <laughs> They're like, we gotta cut ties yeah, here. <laughs> we stop at the border. <laughs> Dang it! I know. I, I mean, know. it used to be when I, I remember I when I applied for jobs 14 years ago. I'd go in and there would be a hundred applicants. So you got to be one or two out of those hundred applicants oh, to get man. a job. You paid your you paid your way to go through the academy. Nowadays, it's these agencies will sponsor you to go through because they can't find people. They, they can't find men and women that can pass the background checks or that just want to step up and, and do this job. So Yeah. And you get a lot of people. My dad was saying how you get a lot of guys in there. And he's like, I already know some of these guys who are not going to make it in yeah. this field. It's just, it's dangerous. It's scary. Um, it's a lot of hands-on. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain type of person to do it. And, yep. and you have to be willing, I mean... You have to sacrifice a lot. People don't sometimes. I don't think realize, but you know, the holidays, the weekends, the the family times. You you miss out on a lot. I mean, you know, you know, from your dad being an officer, you know how sometimes probably sparse it was seeing him around the house, or mm-hmm. just because work calls and you, you've got to be there and you got to step up and take it, take take the call. So. Yep. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad was so he still is so dedicated to his job. But now that he's retired from a couple count cities and he's retired at UVU. When I was growing up, his job was his passion. He loved it. Yeah. In fact, when he retired from Orm City, 
he got paid. He they owed him a lot of vacation money because he never took vacation. Yeah. Because and it's not that he didn't want to boot the family. It's just that he had this drive and this passion. And my dad was really good at what he did. You know, he was one of the first guys in Utah to be trained in um, DRE. So he got called out all the time. So when I was a kid, all the time in the middle of the night, I could hear him putting his gear on. And holidays, yeah, Christmas morning. Most mornings he wasn't home, but luckily we lived in the same city. So if it was quiet, he'd drive home and like sit and watch presents, you know, watch us open presents. And then all of a sudden he'd get a call and have to run out. But yeah, yeah, I'm used to that <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> that was my lifestyle for a lot of years. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends that are cops. So yeah. <clears throat> being a part of their life too. Of course, I don't live with these people, but as our friendships, you know, we have to give and take a little bit. And so I, yeah. I'm very familiar with the schedule and how. Yeah. It is. it is it's time consuming and and a lot of us do fall in love with the job and what we do and sometimes that that can be hurtful t- towards the family and i don't think it's most officers intent to ever do that but you definitely have to to take time for yourself and for your family um but definitely when the when the call of duty calls we're normally are <laughs> putting on the gear and going that's right <laughs> you guys are running in and everyone's running <laughs> out and right. we're so thankful for you guys because i know i couldn't do it my, there was a time period there where my dad was like do you want to go in the police academy i can get you in for free i'm like do i look like the type to be a police officer let me just give you guys a little hint if you, just let me give you guys a little background story kind of where we're at right now just so you guys have a little bit of a clue so I am a yoga instructor. I own a yoga studio, but I'm also a huge crime junkie, which because of my background of my dad. So I've got Justin here and myself and then Blake. He's my, he's my tech guy. Hey, Blake. And we're sitting in my yoga studio in the back room in this kind of like cemented back room. <laughs> it's a little ghetto. And it's a little chilly back here. Are you freezing? It's a little cold. <laughs> it's a little cold. But... Um, I have such a passion for this. I want to bring you guys these stories and Justin's been awesome to come in here and do this for us. So I'm going to let him get started on his story here. I'll ask you questions in between. So I might cut you off. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll raise my hand. <laughs> no worries. No worries. But anyway, go on with your story, Justin. So uh, it's been, it's been some years ago. Um, I was working patrol with a couple detectives and, um, we, we took several vehicle burglaries in an underground parking lot of a BYU complex. Um, it's common for students, unfortunately, to like leave valuable items in their cars. Oh my uh, gosh. Just, you know, I guess it's just, hey, the luxury of, hey, I'll have my backpack in the car tomorrow. I don't have to bring it out to the car. Do you also think because it's Provo City, they just think it's safe? It, yeah, I think that's some of it as well. Um, just, you know, just lackadaisical thinking, yeah, it's a pretty safe place, which we don't, you know, like you said earlier, we don't see a lot of violent crimes and things like that. I think that's what people tend to, to think in their minds, but... But we do, we do deal with a lot of these other crimes, the thefts, the drugs, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're in this underground. We're, we're searching all these cars. The windows have been broken and items have been taken, um, finding the owners for them. And what we did notice is that the suspect that uh, committed these crimes had left several shoe prints because he had walked in some mud. So I, I remember like we, it was a very kind of unique shoe print, and I remember we were taking photographs of it, and and uh, just kind of trying to build a case, but we had no idea who the suspect was at the time. Because there's no, there's like no cameras, no there's cameras, nobody, yeah. no, no way to, no way to witnesses. identify who has no witnesses. So, um, can you tell by the shoe like what brand it is, what size it is? Couldn't tell like what that, brand that it was, but yeah. So you could, you could, ba- you could get about a size of it by the. We got a ruler out, measured it, and things like that. You couldn't tell the brand, but 
like they said, the pattern on the bottom was very distinct. I think it was, like, thinking back, it kind of was like a diamond pattern, but it was like the full, the full shoe. And so, like, little diamonds. Um, okay. Almost maybe like a Vans or something, but it, was, it wasn't Vans. It was something different. And uh, so, for me, one thing I've always been good at in this job is remembering faces, names, like people rely on me a lot for that. I don't. I don't have a photographic memory, but like once I meet somebody, I normally can remember their first or last name, and and then it's always helped me in my job to be able to like see someone out on the streets and run their name, be like, hey, he's got warrants or something. Mm. So it's it, it's just it's just <laughs> something Great that's gift, helped, yeah, something that's helped me out through my career. So um, and just kind of remembering evidence things and where I've seen things before. It, it's always been something that's just been. A good knack that I have, I guess. So, about a week later, um, I was called to to uh, back up an officer down at the railroad tracks in Provo. He had encountered a mill um, for trespassing, and he. You can give us a little more information. Yeah, yeah. He told me a little <laughs> bit about this beforehand. He's like, "Am I allowed to say?" He's like, "Yes." <laughs> so he encountered this mill, and he was in the he was in the porta potty. Uh, or, or he went into the porta potty just after the officer had saw him trespass the railroad tracks. So the male comes out of the porta potty, and the officer questions him, is asking him for his ID and things. And the male said, "Well, I was just in there pleasuring myself, and I <laughs> dropped my wallet in the toilet." Oh my gosh! In the porta potty toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so like the blue goo or whatever yeah. you want to call it. So, so gross. Yeah. So, anyways, the, the officer says, well, you need to go in there and fetch that out so we can get your ID. <laughs> so, so sick. So the kid goes in there, he comes back out with his ID, and that's about the time I show up and kind of notice that this kid's got some... Is he holding his wallet like... Yeah, it's kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> like barely like, holding on the and corner. the officer's kind of like just wants him to stay back, but he wants to see his ID so he can verify who he is. And... Don't touch me with those hands. <laughs> yeah. Let me see the ID. Yeah. <laughs> So during the course of this, there becomes uh, the kid becomes kind of combative at then and wants to then fight the officer, kind of postures up against him. Um, the officer had ran his name. And I don't remember specifically like if he had a warrant or something. I think there was a reason why we were going to further either detain the gentleman at that time. And so the kid kind of postured up and the officer ends up having to scuffle with him and takes him down to the ground. Um, kid kind of gets cut up from the rocks at the railroad tracks and so we call paramedics out and they respond and transport him to the hospital. So I was one of the officers that responded up to the hospital to watch over him while he's being treated so that we can get a jail release and get him sent to jail. And I remember he's laying there and I look down at his shoes and I'm like, those are the those are the tread prints from the, all those burglaries that we, the vehicle burglaries that we had at that complex. And, oh my god! And he was actually the officer that fought him was one that was there with me, and he's like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I I think I still had pictures on my phone, and so we pulled them oh up. Oh my gosh! And we're like, "Yeah, those are that." So as soon as he got treated, instead of taking him to jail, had you said this to the kid that's in there? So. Like, did you say this? You just said this to the police officer. Yeah. Like, the kid didn't hear you no, saying this. No. So he had no idea you guys were like, no. look at him for these <laughs> yeah. burglaries. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon as we get the medical release, instead of taking him to jail, we took him back to the police department because we wanted to interview him about, about these burglaries. And when we got him there, we basically just said, hey, man, like, here's a picture of your shoe print. These are your shoes, man. And you did all these burglaries. Or you were involved. Can you, what can you tell us? And it was... 
he cooperated and he gave us uh, the information that he had done him. It was him alone. And he took us back to a hotel where he had been staying. Um, there was another male who was running the hotel room at the time, but he gave us consent to go in and, and collect. I don't know. I don't know. We got a majority of the property back, which was nice. I mean, it's always, it always sucks. You know, even if these kids have made poor decisions of leaving their backpacks in their car and things like that, they're still victims. And it always, it always sucks to see people be victimized like that. But it's also mm-hmm. a great reward to be able to actually return some of the stuff to the to the rightful owners, especially as, you know, college students, normally they're poor. They, yeah. you know, they're living off of basically nothing a lot of times. And uh, yeah. so to be able to return property like that's pretty, it's pretty, pretty cool case. And So do these guys, when they go and steal all this stuff, okay, first of all, he's staying in a hotel, so he's maybe a transient a yeah. little bit. yeah. And so what do they do? They sell this stuff for money? They yeah, pawn it pa- off? Yeah, they're pawning it or they're trading it to friends. And normally it's for drugs. Um, oh. This kid had a, a drug problem. Um, and yeah, I think his was mo- mainly just to be able to s- supply his habit. Um, so, so sad. It is. It is. You know, we live in, in Utah where we think that we are pretty safe, like you said. But we, we do have a major drug problem here in Utah. Meth, heroin. Uh, fentanyl slowly creeping into what's fentanyl so fentanyl is like an opiate um so it's prescribed by your doctor yeah well it can be but okay uh, they yeah, they use it in the hospital and then there's there's fentanyl there's car fentanyl which is used to tranquilize elephants what uh, <laughs> yeah. people like use that four grains of salt is what they say is about enough to to tranquilize an elephant so so they're they're shipping those type of drugs overseas you can get them on the black market they're shipping them from like Japan, China, places like that. They come over to the United States. People are mixing those into pills, you know, with pill presses and making fake oxys, fake Xanax, fake whatever. And then they're distributing those, um, you know, out on the streets. And then from there, it's crazy because then these, these people think, you know, oh, I'm buying an oxy an oxy that's came from a doctor but no it was pressed by some dude that was living in an apartment you know and and then if it does have fentanyl in it there's no way to really regulate how much is in each pill and so a lot of people have died because of the the use of these pills and yeah we have a huge problem in utah and it's it it's growing i mean i i look at when i was a kid and i went to high school i mean i saw meth maybe once or twice i saw marijuana I mean, but the things kids nowadays are seeing, you know, the Xanax, the ecstasy, the MDMA, the, I mean, you name it, there's new drugs popping up every day. And the, per, the scary thing about it is sometimes it only takes one, one try, one dose to, to kill you, you know. And Jeez. It's like playing Russian roulette by taking one of those pills and just gamble on whether you're going to make it, you know. And that's... You know, my job now is, is being a narcotics detective. That's what we, that's what we, our main focus is on. I mean, we, we see it every day. We, you know, we, we go to your local Walmart, your local um, Lowe's, Home Depot, and we watch drug transactions happen in front of us on a daily, like, we don't have to sit there long. It's an hour, and we're, we're seeing multiple people, you know. We get out, we go make contact with the car. We, we just watch a drug deal. There's someone sitting there with a needle in their arm. You're kidding me. In a parking lot? all the time oh my gosh so it's but it's just out there and it's it's you know the cartels know where where to hit home and you know they start kids at a young age you know you you start on on marijuana then you know eventually they're going to venture into trying other drugs meth heroin uh, cocaine i mean all of it's readily available out there 
and uh, the pills, like I said, and, and you don't know who's making the pills anymore. You know, you don't know if that's someone something that's came from someone's pharmacy cabinet or if it's came from a dude on the street that's made his own and that looked just the same. You know. Yeah. So, well, these people are too trusting to other people. Like, why would you trust just some random person to give you this? And it's so much easier. Like. I mean, I can only compare this to Breaking Bad, but on Breaking Bad, <laughs> all the cops laugh when I say that <laughs> because it is very similar. My dad talked about that on the on our other two previous episodes that it was so similar to what was happening that they were get, uh, the guys that were playing on the show were getting death threats from the cartel. Yeah. Anyway, but you know when you look when I look at doing some of these drugs, like it takes equipment. You got to have a spoon. You got to have a needle. You have to have all this stuff. But when you're coming down to the pills, yeah. it's a pill. You put it in your mouth. You use the water bottle that's sitting on your desk and swallow it down. Yeah. That's so way too accessible. And I have kids. I have two boys. I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. It is scary. You know, I have I have kids myself and, and it does scare you. I mean, look, I don't know if you heard, but in Park City, like two years ago, there was two young kids, 12 and 13. They tried a drug called Pink. Uh, they tried it once. They both ended up dead. <gasps> um, same kind of just these, these opiates are just, they're just popping up in different forms and like I said, it's just Joe down the street in his house mixing ingredients up, throwing them in a pill press, and and then having someone go out and distribute them for him. Jeez. Cottonwood Heights, um, about a year, almost two years ago now, um, they had a guy, his last name was Shamo. He just recently got federally indicted for life. But uh, he was involved in, a, in an operation where he had $1.2 million in cash in his home from, from the proceeds that he had made and almost $10 million in Bitcoin. And that was from a pill what? press, pill press, and about 120 employees that he had working for him that were out distributing these pills, and they couldn't link him to the 20 to 30 something deaths that they believe were caused by these pills, and they they couldn't link them back to those being his pills exactly, uh, but they did believe that they were his pills, and you know that's just up the street from us, you know. Oh my gosh! 45 I minutes away. <laughs> That is so insane to me. You don't know anybody. You don't know your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. You don't know who's cooking what next door. <laughs> you, don't, you don't. Honestly, you never know. Oh my gosh. So. That's so scary. So in your opinion, because you work with narcotics so much, why do people get on these pills? I mean, first of all, Utah is a very high pornographic state and is a very high um, pill state. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right, if I'm wording it correctly, so. but you've got a lot of people that are on antidepressants here. You've got a lot of people that are, they call it Happy Valley here in Utah County. It ain't Happy Valley, guys. It's, if it's Happy Valley, it's because people are on their drugs here. And there's a lot of people that are on them. So what's your, what, why do people get on these? What's your point of view on that? You know, I think depression can lead to it. Um, you know, a lot of kids, um, it's culture. I mean, around here, like, um, not to get into a religious debate because, you know, around in, in Utah, we're, we're Mormons and you go to the South, you know, mainly Baptists. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of just the way things are. So like in Utah, um, the standards of the Mormon religion are high. You know, they, they re they require a lot out of their people. And I think some people don't often realize like no one's perfect. The church, you know, I, I grew up as an LDS um, goer, and so the church, you know, they kind of, people kind of think 
build it up too much to to believe that they have to be perfect. That's right. You have to. It's their own perspective doing that. Their own perspective doing that. The church isn't saying you have to be perfect. Right. They realize none of us are. Just like any religion, Uh, we don't go to church to because we're perfect. We go to church because we're not, or or we have a belief in God, and and you know because we're because we believe we're not perfect, and and we you know we want to strive to be better. That's all the church is, is asking of them, but I think a lot of in people's minds they think I'm not perfect, so I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't cope with these these things. I don't, I'm not as good as Johnny next door. Or my parents, you know, I'm not. I haven't lived up to what they wanted me to be. Um, I, I don't want to go on a mission. All you know, there's a lot of different things that can play into those into that, or feed into that, and um, I think that 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 leads a lot of kids down a path of I'm not good enough. I'm not accepted here, so I'm going to try here, you know, and, and kids are willing to give something a try normally once or twice if they're in a, in a, in a state of mind where they maybe were, you know, where they're depressed or they don't feel good enough, then they're willing to, to reach out and find places where they feel they will fit in and where they will be good enough. And sometimes that's the drug culture and, you know, and, oh, man. and the sad thing is, is once people get hooked on this stuff, it's really rare that they, that they get off, that they stop, you know, that they don't, or they don't end up dead. Um, as an officer, I, I kind of took passion for wanting to get drugs off the streets because I have in my own family, you know, I've seen addiction. My sister was addicted to pills. Um, she started mm-hmm. young. Um, I know she, wouldn't, she, I know she wouldn't mind me sharing. So, so yeah. I, you know, I kind of share, but, um, in high school, she, she kind of started using weed and drinking a little bit and then it progressed even in high school to meth. Um, and she got into meth. Yeah. Oh, and so my parents actually um, caught it early on and got her some help, and then she was able to get away from that. And then years later in life, she kind of fell back into um, depression and things and kind of um, started ordering pills off the, the Internet. Aww. So she's ordering pills, um, got to a point in life where things got real bad, um, you know, had a few seizures and different things from from the overdoses from pills she had oh taken. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then, uh, luckily, found a rehab again. And she's been, I want to say she's been sober almost seven years now, a little, or a little awesome. longer, so it's cool. And then my stepdad... Yay, congratulations! <laughs> no, my stepdad, he kind of fell into the same thing, alcohol and pills, and and he's been sober for probably eight to ten, or eight or nine years now. Wow, good for so him. It, so it, but it's rare. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it's rare in our job to see people actually make a change. It's the biggest reward I say like when I when I meet somebody I'm compassionate towards that stuff you know I, I want to see people get help and, and find the better the better them the better life that they once had and that's what I always tell them and and um, it is a, it is a huge thanks when we, someone does come to you and say hey thanks for your help thanks for what you do thanks for what you did uh, you know I've, I've got my life back there's very few like I said in my career where that's happened probably count on a hand how many it is right. but but it's like the biggest reward to yeah, be able even to just say, one yeah. person oh yeah for sure yeah for sure well we were kind of talking about this as justin was walking into my yoga studio today i had just ended a class and one of my clients and i were kind of talking about life and how hard it is right now life is hard and things all of our lives go through ups and downs and it's how you deal with those like i'm going to give it a perfect example of myself here but The last 13 months of my life have been the worst. Um, I could have turned to something like drugs or something or alcohol even because alcohol is so easily accessible. I'm old enough. I can go buy it. I can drown myself in my sorrows. But we have to realize that 
the ebbs and flows in life, we have to go through them. And sometimes when we're going through those hard times, we have to grow from them and, you know, not self-medicating. Maybe finding working out or yoga or meditation or a religion or a friend. Sure. And maybe you, you just feel lonely. I feel really lonely sometimes. But you know what? You got to find something besides that. That's, that's not going to cure your problems. That's going to make your problems worse. And sometimes just being alone cures your problems. <laughs> maybe it's a few months you're alone, but it's okay. It cures your problems at some point. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, like you said, you do. And even as an officer, you know, like... We become, to a point, I'll be honest, like you, you almost become addicted to your job. I mean, mm. we like working in the job that I do, like right now, our our, our hours are kind of different, you know. It's like I go in at 12 or 12 in the afternoon and I work till 1, 2, 3 in the morning sometimes. So are you on swing shift? Yeah. And so, well, kind of like a modified swing. Normally our hours should be 12 to 10, but... Our cases keep us out longer than that, you know. We're, we serve a lot of search warrants in the job that I'm in right now, and so, and it, and we do a lot of watching. That's kind of our job is to just watch places from a distance and stake out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gather a lot of intel, and some people call it creeper. <laughs> yeah, creeper. I just think in my mind like the old movie stakeout, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> They're yeah. next door, like staking these people out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, like honestly, yeah, we be, we become addicted to our jobs and. And you have to find that happy medium in life, like, you know, like you said, whether it's working out, whether it's outdoors, whether it's, you know, making that, that special time for you and your family to go and do something fun, you know, and you, you do have to, you do have to find that, that uh, mix. And if you don't, it, it, it can destroy, you know, like you said, it, your life can get so hard and hectic at times. I mean, um, yeah, you can turn to stupid things. You can, you see people fall into it all the time. So you got to... Well, you have to realize too, those bad times don't last forever and the happy times don't last forever. So you have to tell yourself that when you're going through the hard times, you know, just, it doesn't last forever. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, well, do you have any other stories you'd like to share with us? Okay. I have to also tell you when he's sitting here, he's going through his phone and he's showing me these, what did you call it? Glory pictures. Yeah, glory (laughs) pictures. That was awesome. You showed me these pictures of him holding... The drugs over the 21 pounds? Of- 21 pounds of meth, yeah. So I've been involved. I've been lucky, like, just to um, kind of in the job we're in, it's it's finding the right people that know the right people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just you're looking for, the you know, someone that you want, you can turn into someone that helps you basically um, further your your cases. And, you know, I, I, I started at Major Crimes uh, last well, September a year ago, so I've been I've been out there just a little over a year, and uh, my first case in October, um, I I had an informant that got us into um, uh, a large scale dealer, and I worked that case. I ended up working it with the DEA because they kind of we kind of mingled um, as far as. Um, they were kind of looking into the same person we were. We had more information into it at the time, but we decided... You had more information the DE, than the DEA, DEA had? at the time. Okay. So we decided to work it, it jointly. And um, one night I got a call from the DEA agent that South Salt Lake had stopped our main target. And uh, so with them stopping our target, we decided we better take the case down. And so they caught him with a pound of meth in his car at the time and like 10000 in cash. And then we went to his house and we found 33 pounds of meth. <gasps> <laughs> whoa okay so tell me the street value of that uh it'd be over a million dollars cut over a million 
toddlers. Yeah. yeah. And then he had four pounds of heroin, which is about around $50,000 worth of heroin. Oh my he had 1,500 fentanyl pills um, that looked like blue oxycotton, and then uh, 93,000 dollars in U.S. currency. So, holy cow! It was oh. a, it was a good case, and <laughs> it's what? hard because that was like my biggest case to date. But you know, we keep striving to find cases similar to those and just like those. And I work with a group of guys, and so we're always working into cases that are that lead to a lot of times big seizures, like. You know, major pounds of drugs, uh, meth, heroin, cocaine. Um, our task force sets really high goals um, each year, um, goals that we strive to achieve. And this last year, I think we had a goal, or, or this year, um, we had a goal of, I think it was 270 pounds of meth. And we, we achieved that with oh our small gosh. crew. And, and uh, I think we had a goal of about 70 pounds of heroin. I think we, we came just a little short on that. Um, wow. Cash seizures. We normally do about $450,000 a year. Um, vehicles, oh just different things like that. Guns. We take a lot of guns off the street because a lot of times when you're dealing with these guys with drugs, a lot of times they do have guns. Um, he had a not glory. on them. He had a, <laughs> Justin had a glory photo of him with one of the guns. I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. you got to have know, a little humor in this job. Not for sure. And, and, you know, it's memories. I mean, it's the guys you work with, the cases that you work. I mean... When people talk about the thin blue line, it is it is a thin blue line. I mean, we are a brotherhood. We mm-hmm. we live and die for each other. Um, just, you know, they they become your family. I mean, my partner who I work with, I work. You know, he's married. I'm not, but but I'm with him more than his wife is, more than his family is. You know, we you get a bond with those with those guys. It's special. So yeah. it's a great job. Um, Maybe to throw a plug out there, there's several agencies in Utah County always hiring. <laughs> My dad put the same plug out there last year. <laughs> for those week. that are interested, uh, if you go to Provo, mention that I sent you. <laughs> <laughs> go to Provo City, Justin sent you. <laughs> Justin, we're so I'm so thankful that you answered my message on Facebook and let me be a little bit of a creeper for a minute. No, you're good. And I I'm really into these kinds of things. I love crime stories. I'm I've been into it since I was a little kid. So hearing your stories and things like that is awesome. I have a do have a couple more questions. Okay. What do you guys do with the money that you guys collect? So we seize money and then it gets booked into evidence, of course, right away. Um, then it gets turned over to the state, or it depends on if it's a federal seizure or a or a state seizure. So then it gets kicked over to the those agencies, um, or, or to the state or the federal level, and then the government or you know the the on the state level they decide what what money of the forfeitures get kicked back to us. Um, okay. Fortunately, like less and less of it's coming back to us. Um, I don't know why that is. Different different uh, laws have passed where where it's we're not seeing as much of it as we used to, and the the thing that sucks about that as it goes towards like trainings for us and um, sending us to to learn more about drug cultures you know sometimes it's in state sometimes it's out of state but um i don't really know what we can do to change that (laughs) dang that sucks and Uh, clearly a lot of you guys are working overtime because a 10-hour shift most cops work four tens yeah and if you're working from noon till clear until one and two o'clock in the morning, that money should help pay for yeah, your it overtime. Yeah, it does. Does it does help okay. fund some of the overtime and some of the different things that uh, that we do, we're able to do with equipment, things like that, that, that uh, help us out of the task force. So nice. Yeah. Okay, what do you guys do with the drugs? I mean, I know I know that 
I only know what you guys do with marijuana because my dad used to carry a block around. My dad was also a narcotics officer at Orm City. Yeah. So he would carry a block of weed around. Oh my gosh, this is such a bad story. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story for a second. When I was a senior in high school, my dad came to the school. He was doing like a class for my brother in his health class. Brought in a block of weed and the teacher didn't know what it was, but all of us kids knew what it was, obviously. So anyway, my dad brings in these sets on the table and he starts talking about it. Well, he lights it, he takes a piece off and lights it and passes it around the room. And the teacher has no idea what's going on. And all of us kids are like looking at each other. I'm like, and I came, I, it wasn't even my class, but I came in because my dad was there. And I'm sitting there thinking, my dad is passing weed around to the kids in this school. What is happening? <laughs> dad, what's going on? My dad thought it was funny and he was in a controlled environment. Nobody was yeah. inhaling or whatever. I mean, maybe some people were, but <laughs> it was kind of a funny story. So I know with weed, I mean, I know you book it with as evidence and my dad can take it out and, you know, he would check it out and use it. But what, yeah. uh, what do you, else do you guys do? So for? basically, honestly, it just sits in the evidence locker until we need it for court. And then when the court case is adjudicated, they actually just have an incinerator and they just, inc oh. they just incinerate it all. Okay. So, so it's, like not, it's not like really of any um, value to us. I know sometimes on like the TV shows, you'll see like I'm a big Chicago PD fan or... Nice. or uh, no Blue Bloods? Blue, I do like Blue Bloods. I love Blue I Bloods. Love blue there blood. are some cops that do not like Blue Bloods and I'm like, well, hold on a second here. That's yeah. a good show. And the guy... Um, What's his name? The main one on there. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck looks like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should say my dad looks like Tom Selleck. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. So, yeah, it's not like normally when you see on shows like that where they're like checking it out and going. I mean, we do. if, if we check it out, it's just for court. And then once the court proceedings are done, um, we're not doing like buy rips with they. We're not, we're not yeah. <laughs> getting it back out there into the public where it's exposed right. again. Yeah, we're just, we're getting it off the streets and then just destroying it. Yeah, so. you worked your ass off to get off the streets. Yeah. Why would we get yeah. it back out there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the other thing that's crazy too is here in Utah, there's, I don't know, I, I, I've only lived in Ohio before and I don't know much about Ohio. So Utah and Ohio, I've lived. But I know here in Utah, there are so many um, drug rehab places here. And you see, if you're driving down I-15, there are huge signs everywhere that, you know, all these drug rehab places. Yeah. They're popping up everywhere. And people from all states. I actually had a friend of mine. they're full. They're full. Yeah. And they are expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who I met um, at a clothing store, Buckle, when I used to work there. And if some of you guys know Buckle. You look like a Buckle guy, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a compliment. I'm a total Buckle person. <laughs> Anyway, he was actually from the East. I think he's from um, Philadelphia. Mm. Um, yeah, somewhere over there. Anyway, he moved to California because all the drugs were there. He got into drugs over there, and he moved to California to be a DJ, and the drugs are prevalent over there. You know, oh, they're yeah. really bad there. Well, I don't remember what happened, but his parents found out. His parents were living in Philly. They found out that he was all screwed up over here, so... They had to fly out to California, and, and they looked at all the best places to take him to get well. Yeah. And it was Utah. It's up at Sundance. Now, I'm not biased. I don't know which place is better, but a lot of you guys are familiar with Sundance because the Sundance Film Festival, which is actually in Park City. But Sundance is up Provo Canyon, and they have a rehab center up there. And I know he went up there. It was like, I want to say it was thirty dollars to $30,000 a month. Oh, Luckily, yeah. his dad was a doctor and could afford it. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, like I said, I'm compassionate towards substance abuse and want to see people change. And that's, that's, that is the problem, you know, one of the problems is 
you know, at the time, even when my sister went through rehab, their insurance wasn't an option. They didn't take insurance. It was, it was cash only, or, oh you know, basically. Gosh. And so, um, I want to say hers was the one, the program she went through was about 10 grand a month. Um, she was there. I think she, I think she did two months. And so, you know, the, but now, now luckily insurance can step in and get involved. Oh, and, really? And so a lot more people are, are able to get, get the help they need if they want. And that's, you know, that's what it boils down to is, you know, if people are going to make that change, they have to want to. And, uh, you know, yeah. unfortunately not, a, not enough people I think do, but, but there is a, there is a good group out there that does. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's really sad. I feel bad for these people. My heart goes out to you guys. Anyway, I am so thankful you came, Justin. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. It was nice and to meet you. And I hope you guys enjoy this podcast, and we will see you next week. Cool.